I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. today's episode, Jenna and I talk about the universal call that's been placed on all of us by God to live a life on mission. So Jenna, do you know how, <laughs> you know how some animals are um, monogamous, like they couple for life, mm-hmm. you know, like penguins and mm-hmm. I don't know what else? Did you know that there are animals that are the opposite of that? That they have, like, a really hard time with monogamy? Like dolphins? No, like cheetahs. (laughs) 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 See, it was a good one. That was a good one. Alright. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 51. (laughs) It's so good to have you back with us. Jenna, do you want to share your peak pit plug? Uh, Oh, shoot. Yeah. Uh, My peak is that... Well... Uh, now this sounds wrong that I think about it. Um, my family was supposed to go out to Florida and Georgia this past week or this week, um, but the hurricane happened, and so they were like, heck no, we won't go. Um, and so I've been able to spend a lot of time with my family this week and go on fun adventures. Um, and it's my first week being a stay-at-home mom, which is... help. <laughs> um, <laughs> So it's been good. It's been keeping me busy. Um, my pit is that we just keep finding fun um, health things with this pregnancy. For So prayers for that. The baby's fine. I'm fine. We'll be fine. <laughs> he just needs to stop um, and be born. <laughs> we'll be good. And then my plug is I'm... Um, Trying to get back into reading for fun actively every day and every night. Um, like going to bed and laying in bed and reading rather than watching TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm currently reading Tuesdays with Maury, which I've been told many, many times I need to read this book. And it's really, really good. And it's not a sitcom. Matt. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe somewhere that I don't know. I thought it was a sitcom. It's not. It's about a man <laughs> that's dying. <laughs> so there's that. It's not funny. So Sam. you're uh, to sum up: hurricane, weird baby, and d- dead guy book. Dead, yeah. <laughs> wow, my life sounds really fun right now. It's good. <laughs> um, Swear it's fine. Mine <laughs> peak bit plug. My peak is that um, my daughter Hannah. She's in this phase now where she, because she's very like bombastic, like loves banging on things. Na- word. I know. Name, it's GRE it's... word. Um, and she loves smacking you and like throwing things. She's very like energetic, but lately she's just been very cuddly. Like Aww. she'll just want to hug and like sit in your lap and read a book and like it's really funny because she'll turn around and like back her booty up into your <laughs> lap and then sometimes she'll fall back and miss or something, but. Yeah, she's been really cuddly, so that's really um, an awesome peak. And also another peak is um, it's so good to find out that we have new listeners still finding our podcast for the first time. So oh. I want to give a shout out to Faye, one of the um, parents shout that I know from out. my parish. Um, so thanks for listening, Faye. We appreciate it. Um, my pit is that it is hot. And I know... It's disgusting outside. I know in like California, everyone's like, you guys have no idea, but... You're right, we're sissies, and it's the Sahara Desert out here right now. It's, I mean, I don't know, it's what, how hot, 88 degrees, but it's very humid. It's been hotter. It's very humid, that's the problem. Um, And I know there's humidity, like, 100% all the time in other places, but... um, We're just not built like that. We're not used to that. We need Perrier, and I don't know. I was just drinking that. (laughs) Were you? Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> um, so. And then, um, so that has not been fun because my body does not function over like 70 degrees well. So um, I'm physically complaining a lot and try not to make it verbal. Um, so <laughs> I don't know what that physically means. Physically complaining. I feel like my muscles are like, but I'm not doing it. But your mouth is not. But I'm doing it right now for the talking pit. Talking. I'm, I'm complaining now, but I'm, I'm vocalizing sure. that it's a pit. I, not just complaining. Okay. Yeah. And then, my plug... <laughs> I couldn't think of a plug, so... Well, I can, but it's just not one of my traditional plugs. So, my plug is my hair. 
And but <laughs> but not that I have hair plugs. That sounded weird. But so for a long time I I have really thick hair and so I cut my hair really short and I try and keep it down and I found out like a month ago that I'm not supposed to do that. Like, thick hair is supposed to be a little longer. It's supposed to stand up. So I YouTubed at the suggestion of my friend Izzy. Shout out to you, Izzy. Um, I YouTubed um, short men's thick hair or something like that on YouTube. And there's this guy on Instagram. What or not Instagram. What did you get with that search? There's this guy on YouTube who um, does all these how-to videos on how to style your hair and different haircuts that you can have. So... Yeah, I realized that I haven't known how to cut or do my hair my entire life until now, at 31 years old. It was kind of like when I was 30, and I realized no one ever taught me how to properly wash my hands. Ew. And I was at, well, I would wash my hands, but I thought it was the soap that killed the germs. But it's not. It's the friction. So you have to rub. What's the soap for? It's just a, a bonus. So says, I, says who? Says... <laughs> This lady from So this, I can wash my hands with water? You can water? do this. You don't even need water. You can rub your hands like this well, and it will kill yeah. most of the germs. Friction. Yes, that's... I didn't know that. So I would just put soap on my hands and I'd be like... You can't see the visual I'm doing. But, so, I'm pretty sure I never actually really knew how to wash my hands until I was 30. I did wash them, but the, my knowledge of the how to do that was not... I learned how to do a lot of things later. I how to properly brush my teeth. Um, I would just kind of jam the toothbrush in there. Ow. So, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know you had to like make little circles Yeah. and like be gentle. Yeah. So my toothbrush always looked like it was like mangled. Yeah. So anyways, plug is that Matt is a grown up now, I guess, and knows how to work things. <laughs> anyways, so. I'm still stuck on the soap thing. <laughs> anyways. So if you've been sticking with us for seven minutes. What's the minutes, point of anti- it, help, it, it helps kill bacteria, but it's the friction that helps it. I guess it's the friction that helps it activate. If it just like touches your hand, it's not like a big deal. Yeah, spread it around. Yeah, but you got to do it with friction. You can't just be like, blah, 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 you know, like just like, like body dying it. <laughs> so, Anyways, moving on. Seven and a half minutes later, thank you for sticking around. Today we are talking Sorry. about. How to live a life on mission. So whether you know this or not, every single person, every single person on this planet, especially those of us who are aware of it because we are Christians, are called to be missionaries. Now when you hear that word, you probably think like people who go off into far distant places in the world and they go convert people. And that's not what I mean. What I mean is we all have this... Um, commissioning this call from Jesus that um, carries down through the centuries. This is from Matthew 28, um, where Jesus is with the disciples, and they worship him on a mountain, and then Jesus approaches them, and this is the last few verses of Matthew 28. Jesus approached and said to them, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. And so those verbs in that commission, um, go, make disciples, <laughs> baptize, and teach, um, we have the capability of doing all of those. Yes, we don't traditionally baptize people. Priests do that. But actually, faithful, the faithful can do that in emergency situations. But looking at that, that passage as a whole... And recognizing that's something that we are all called to do. But a lot of us don't realize it and we think it's left for like professional missionaries or people who are priests or people who are super mm -hmm. holy. Um, and we just kind of go about our lives and don't realize like, no, that's for us too. So that's kind of what we're talking about. So historically in the church, this is how they saw that, that um, answering that call. Priests were the missionaries to the churches. And the lay people were the missionaries to the world. So, for instance, our church, we have a pope. The pope is responsible for all the souls on earth. Not all the Catholic souls, all the souls. And so he delegates that responsibility to bishops. And they are responsible for a particular area called a diocese. And all the souls, not just the Catholic souls, every soul is under that bishop's responsibility. And he delegates that responsibility to priests who have a parish boundary, which is normally like a city boundary or, you know, a district boundary. 
and um, they're responsible for all those souls, not just the Catholic souls. And then priests will hire a staff. And so Jenna and I, you know, we're, we're on parish staffs or were on parish staffs. Sorry, that's not oh, like I was rubbing it in. Um, <laughs> but we were or are responsible for all of the young souls or adult souls in that whole area, not just in our parish. And so if you look at the percentages, far more of those people are outside of the church than in it. And so we all, even though those of us, there are those of us that work for the church, all of us are meant to have this outward looking uh, mentality when we're thinking about how God is calling us to just live out our faith every day. But the responsibility really of the priest since they are able to confer the sacraments and we are not, is to be doing that for those who come to the parish. Now, yes, they're, they want to help and be involved in all those different things, and a lot of times they're expected to, but really that's traditionally how the church was organized, is that the priests did the sacraments, and the people w- w- were meant to go out and be saints and to share their faith with people in their families and in their workplaces and in their towns and communities. And so... We're still meant to do that, but the problem is, not the problem, but in the 60s, we had the Second Vatican Council, and um, that opened up this idea of something called lay ecclesial ministry, where now people who were not ordained, people like Jenna, like me, people who were not priests, we were allowed to now do different offices um, or different jobs that only priests used to do. And so, um, you know, when you were becoming a priest, you had different offices like the porter, the person who opened the door at church, Um, the acolyte, the person who was the altar server. Um, You were um, a lector, like all those liturgical ministries used to be different offices of the seminary and the priesthood uh, until you became a full functioning priest or pastor. Now, all those things can be done by lay people, by us. And so focus kind of turned back on church communities and... It's good because we have population growth and priests, they can't cover, you know, everything that needs to be um, done because of priest shortages in a lot of places. Um, And it's also good because people at churches want formation. They want to learn there. You know, they want to um, have extra opportunities outside of the mass and the sacraments to grow in their faith. Uh, And we have a history recently in the past like 60 years of not knowing our faith really well as Catholics. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but the downside of this reality is that our focus has become very confined to what's happening in the four walls of the church and everything that is happening church wise happens there. You know, like we offer all these different classes and programs and different things, ministries, um, all these different ways you can be involved. And a lot of it happens at the church, um, which is not bad that it's happening, but it, kind of causes us to not have this eye for what about being out in the world? Everyone, every single person who is a Catholic, who is a Christian, are called to be ministers out in the world. Um, And so it's hard because we don't really see our responsibility for that anymore. But our responsibility hasn't been lifted. It hasn't been changed. So the question for this episode, now that you have that context, is how do we live a life on mission? How do we do that? Jenna, any thoughts on all of that? Um, yeah, I mean, we just celebrated, I think, yesterday, um, St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta's Mm -hmm. feast day, right? And so, I knew, growing up, I always believed that it meant that to be on mission meant that I had to be out, Mm -hmm. like, away from my home. Yeah. Um, far, far away. And it's, it's realizing that you are on mission every single day here at your home and that God is calling you probably majority of people mm-hmm. like 90% of people um, here in their home in their families especially in their families um, especially today because Satan is really attacking our families and so mm-hmm. being on mission is something that I think we need to um, put a new lens or a new perspective in our own lives and see where specifically he's calling us. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be crazy, unique, or um, radical. It's going to be simple and really, really beautiful in that mm. simplicity. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about, um, I can't find it off the top of my head right now, but um, the moment where Jesus returns home during his public ministry yeah. and he tries to perform all these miracles and um, they drive him away. And he says, um, you know, how difficult it is for a prophet to be accepted in his own native place or something like that. That's a very loose paraphrase. I know it's not the phrasing. But so in a sense, 
it's almost easier to do that, mm -hmm. to do that traditional idea of a missionary, because you can up and leave to a place where no one knows you, no one knows your faults, your mistakes, your problems, your ticks, the things that press your buttons, the things that make you human, yep. and you can kind of present this like, look at this great gift of faith I have, and I'm going to give it to you, which is not, I'm not saying that missionaries all have that um or any of them really have that personality, but you can kind of, we can kind of tend to bring that to evangelizing conversations when we're trying to share the faith with someone um, and trying to, you know, take it as an opportunity. Well, this person doesn't know me and I have this thing that they don't have. And that's a really bad way of looking at it and to live a life on mission. To live a life on mission really is to be present as yourself in the place God has called you yeah. and to just be allow Jesus to be brought into that situation, to be awakened in the two people that are talking or in the place that you are um, within yourself and within the other person. It's not something that you have that you are giving them. It's something that is there that you are awakening in both of you or allowing to be awoken in both of you. Awoke? Awoken? Awaken? You, you're woke. Awaked. Not just woke. Awake-woked in both of you. <laughs> um, so... That really is the reality. And so how do we do that? Because, uh, you know, sometimes we, I think we put blinders up the rest of the week. You know, church is like my hour on Sunday. Maybe if I have another commitment, like I'm in church mode there. And then mm -hmm. it's easy when we're at work or when we're at school or at home with our families to just kind of like let the routine be the routine and not, <clears throat> not try and bring that in. And it's difficult because a lot of times our active sense of faith comes after we're already ingrained in our families, um, our jobs, our schools, you know, our community. We already have a kind of a way of being in those places. Yeah. You know, we already have friendships that are established. And then all of a sudden this faith thing is coming alive for us. And it's very difficult to think about how do I go back to this pre-existing thing or this pre-existing place and try and completely present a new facet of myself or a new self entirely without seeming inauthentic or without worrying about being judged or being ridiculed or being persecuted even for my faith. And so um, that's the question. How do we do that? How do we live a life on mission? Um, I recently was at a men's conference, and I think I maybe even shared this on the podcast, um, but something was said when it was they were talking about how to pass on the faith to your children. And I think it's a really good... Um, phrase that applies to how we pass on the faith in general. And the phrase was, more is caught than taught. Mm -hmm. More is caught than taught. Children learn their habits from us. So children learn typically from their mothers, sociologically speaking and psychologically speaking, their sense of identity and their sense of self-worth. So whether or not they see themselves as loved, whether or not they feel safe, emotionally stable, they learn a lot of that from their relationship with their mother. Um, from their father, they learn about um, their habits. What does it look like? How, how do I be in this world? So from their mom, who am I in this world? And then from their dad, how am I in this world? You could say, you know, like, what do I do in this world? How, what's the type of person that I am or can become? What are the things, the habits that I can develop to continue to foster that sense of who I am that I got from my mom? And so they're very both very much both needed and complementary, but they're very different. And you can tell that a lot of people don't have really good discipline, don't have really good habits. We're very, very comfortable and lazy as a culture because we live in a culture that no longer respects or honors fatherhood. Um, and really, you know, we mm -hmm. see time after time all of these terrible mass shootings that happen. When you look at them, they're these very um, depressed or anxious or, you know, sociologic, uh, sociological or social disordered young men, typically young white men with no dads or no yeah. male influence in the home and often who had a very traumatic upbringing because of that or even maybe an abusive upbringing from a male figure um, or without a male figure present, something like that. And so that is so necessary in terms of our upbringing to have that sense of um, development and what our habits are. And so more is caught than taught. But I think that applies really well to just being a missionary. Like, you don't have to go out into your workplace and say, like, all right, everyone, I believe in Jesus now, and so uh, I just want you all to know that, that I'm not going to be able to do happy hour um, on Tuesdays anymore with you all. You know, you don't have to make this big announcement um, and proselytize, but 
more is going to be caught than taught. So how are you living your faith authentically and unapologetically, like not worrying about who sees or who asks, um, not being afraid to wear a cross or to have a holy card sitting on your desk or um, to make the sign of the cross when you're eating or to talk about faith when it comes up joyfully, to be a joyful person. Like all of that is going to resonate or be observed by people around you Mm -hmm. and they're going to know something is different about this person. I can't tell you how many times I remember saying that phrase on this podcast. Like when we talk about living your faith, is your faith something that challenges other people to recognize you have something they don't um, or you have something they want. They may possess it, but they may not know how to use it or how to articulate it authentically. And so that's really, I think the heart of what it means to live life on mission is to living it out joyfully, authentically, unapologetically, uh, and people will take notice. Oh, um, we've kind of we've talked about that specific, like people noticing your faith um, and who you are and like what you believe in without you having to say it. Kind of multiple times on this podcast, and I know that um, I've had different scenarios, but one of the more recent ones was. Um, when my teens wrote me letters um, and put them in a little notebook for me. And it was really, really sweet. But one of them was, she. Uh, the first time she met me, she could tell that there was this, just this like overwhelming amount of joy that came from who I am. And she wanted it because she had felt like she just didn't have that kind of joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and she wrote that, you know, after... A couple months of just witnessing you speak and seeing um, how you interact with others, I realized without you having to say it that your joy came from Jesus, and that's one of those things that if if somebody comes up to you because you said something like, "Oh yeah, I'm Catholic," and they say, "Man, I had no idea," like, yeah. you know, like that's kind of your wake up call. Like, <laughs> really? Do you remember Are... the weekend? You were there. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of your wake. If you get the opposite of that, that's yeah. your wake up call that you aren't living. Maybe maybe just that authentic joy. Maybe there's no joy in your faith. You have yeah. to find that joy, um, or maybe there's no like signs of it <laughs> in your life and how you're living. And so, um, really, kind of like you like to say, do a litmus test of your of your faith and yeah. what your day looks like and um, how your mood is and how you're interacting with others and see if you're truly living out your faith without having to speak it. Yeah, definitely. There's that phrase we shared before too. Um, if you were accused in a court of law of being a Catholic or being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Mm-hmm. You know, And so there's a line there also between pride and humility as well. Like We don't want to share our faith in such a way that's like, pay attention to me and how holy I am. Because we're then putting ourselves in the place of Jesus. We're saying, I'm perfect. I'm here to save you. Instead of recognizing, no, I'm a mess, but I'm happy and joyful because I know the Savior and I want you to meet him. Um, that's really the reality that we're dealing with, is that we recognize who are, who whose we are and who we're pursuing. And that brings us joy because it takes the pressure off. We don't have to like fall into this worldly trap of thinking like we got to keep up with the Joneses. We have to be perfect. We have to present filtered images and masks of ourselves on social media every day to feel affirmed and validated by likes, comments, and shares. Like that's not the life of a Christian. Um, you know, it's pretty much completely opposite of that. It's like, here's my mess. You know, here's my wound. I'm going to peel the bandaid off. Um, but don't worry. Like I know the doctor and he's super cool and you should come meet him. You know, that's pretty much like the, the, the message of Christianity and what it's like to live it authentically. And so knowing that we're not pointing to ourselves, that we're pointing to someone else, that's where humility comes in is recognizing like, I don't, I don't know. Um, I totally lost my train of thought. Humility. Um, but not having that desire to be like in front of people um, or be like the person who's in the center of attention. I have a friend who um, works in professional ministry and he has people, he speaks a lot like nationally and internationally and he has people come up to him all the time, teens and young adults. And they say, I want to be like you. I want to be a speaker. I want to inspire people. And he'll ask them why. And they'll say, well, I really want to affect the lives of teenagers. You know, I really want them to know Jesus. And so he says, okay, you should become a youth minister then because you get so much more time 
meaningful relational ministry time way more than I do. What I do is pretty much nothing. You know, that's what it really takes. And he knows because 99% of the time those people walk away like really irritated or really like, oh man, like, no, but I want to do that. That it's kind of more about them that they're mm-hmm. asking. Um, but if they were really authentically want to do that for that goal for the teen, they'd be like, oh yeah, sign me up. You know, how do I do that? Um, and sometimes they do, but more often than not, it seems like they just walk away very like, all right, I'm going to get a second opinion or I'll find this out another way because they really want the attention or the limelight. Um, and it's, it's funny that most people, at least that I know in the church that are in front of people and doing that type of work and that type of ministry, most of them are introverts. Um, most of them don't like being in front of people. Um, most of them find it very nerve wracking and anxiety inducing to have to come up with content and write these talks and do these types of events. Um, and it just shows you that like God is the one working. It's not them, Mm -hmm. you know, they're just more able to recognize that God is working because he's calling them to do things they would never do themselves. (laughs) You know, with us extroverts, it's harder because we constantly have to battle. Is this something that I want to do or is this something that God wants me to do? Um, and so I think that, but that's the reality of the pride piece. And I was, I know I've been, I've been thinking about, um, I know I talking to a couple people recently about um, discerning religious life and vocations, um, particularly a couple people who I know as acquaintances who um, are discerning the priesthood or who are even in seminary. And the way they talk about it and the way they present it and the way that I've talked to them in the past, part of me was like, do you want to do this because speaking didn't work out and you just want to be in front of people in a church setting? Like I just mm-hmm. had that thought and was like, I really hope not. Like, it's amazing that you've made this leap and that you're pursuing this. And I hope if this is your vocation, like you are authentically discerning it. And if it's not, then I know God will find a way to lead you out of it in time. But part of me was like, <laughs> like for a second when I thought that, it was like, oh, I really don't want that to be the way that people get that kind of proud boost, you know, because mm-hmm. um not so much anymore, but traditionally, you know, seminaries and religious orders were kind of open. You know, if you want to come, come. Now they do a lot more like psychological vetting and like interviewing and they deny a lot of people. Like the probably the percentage of denials from religious orders has gone up exponentially in the past, you know, hundred years mm-hmm. than it ever was before. But um, so that's good. But I just kind of had that thought of, you know, the humility piece that has to be there. So anyways, um, secondly... <laughs> So more is caught than taught, um, but it has to be done with humility, humble joy. Um, But secondly, um, making faith a priority. And we've talked about this many times before, um, but we can't live a life on mission uh, one hour a week or in, you know, five minute increments whenever we find the convenience or the time after everything else. Like this, our role as sons and daughters of God, our role as Christians, our role as missionaries, uh, ministers to the people God has called us to. Um, that has to take priority. And so look at your priorities, you know, and father Mike Schmidt says that the word priorities didn't exist a hundred years ago. We invented it because technically the word means prior. Only one thing can be prior to everything else. You can't have multiple priorities. You can't have multiple first place winners, you know, of, of the priorities in your life, you know, only one thing can be in first place, you know? And so, um, you want to know what your priorities are? Look at your calendar, look at your bank statement. Um, and where you spend your time, where you spend your money. That's what that means. Um, and so we have this kind of, um, uh, I don't know what you call it. It's not an acronym, but like a saying, I guess, in the church. Um, when it comes to stewardship, answering that missionary call, serving the church and serving God in the way that we're called to do that with our time, our talent and our treasure. Uh, and so those are three ways that we can answer this call as missionaries. And so, uh, time. Um, that's kind of what we started this conversation on priority, making sure we know, um, where we're spending our time and not scheduling in God last, but recognizing God is present in all of it. And that he is the thing that we think about first, you know, when we get up in the morning, when am I going to pray? When am I going to have that time with the Lord? When I'm in my workplace, when I'm in my family, not thinking about all the chores that need to be done first and all these practical things, but recognizing like, why has God placed me right here in this moment with this person today? Like taking a breath and just like recognizing the importance of presence uh, mm-hmm. in that moment. Um, Christ is someone that we want to get to know. <laughs> 
And if we're only doing an hour a week of getting to know him, that's like saying that you're going to be married to somebody and you're only going to spend an hour a week with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, how well are you going to know them? How much? You're not really going to want to hang out with them. Yeah. As much as if you were hanging out with them an hour a day and getting more like information and getting to know their tics and what they like and what they don't like and um, learning their character and just if if we're only doing an hour a week with the Lord at Mass, we're not fully getting to know Him in a true relationship. Mass is beautiful. Mass is good. Of course, go to Mass. Go to daily Mass. But you're not diving into that relationship and actually giving it 100%. You're giving him like 5%, if that. Yeah. Maybe probably less. Yes. And God is infinite. Like, you're never going to exhaust the ways that that he will surprise you or the new things you will learn about him and who you are in your relationship with him. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's, it's never going to end. And so, like, I've had conversations with people, um, in my own family, um, that kind of make it seem like, oh, their church time is done. Like, they paid their dues, you know? And it's like, well, it's not like a community outreach. It's not like you were in Rotary Club, you know? It's like, this is a relationship with the creator of the universe, the person who created you. And when we gather every week, we are praising the God of the universe, like the gravity that that has. And just to have the perspective of like, yeah, I'll give it an hour a week, you know, is so, like... A, not enough, and B, a really negative and narrow way to enter into that relationship because you're just putting this massive limit on an unlimited God immediately, you know? Um, Well, and your salvation. Like, let's think about that for a second. Yeah. (laughs) My salvation is worth an hour a week. Yeah. Like, no, obviously we're not supposed to be thinking about the only reason why we want to go to heaven is because we don't want to go to hell. Like, no, no, no. But... Your salvation obviously is not that important to you if it's only an hour a week. Yeah. And if you recognize the ne- the necessity and the promise of salvation and our need for that, mm-hmm. wouldn't we want to get everyone else we love there too? Yep. You know, I don't I don't want to get to heaven and find out that someone's missing. Yeah. You know, I don't want to get to heaven and find out a single person that I love is missing. Uh, and yeah, it's challenging to figure out how to do that. And to it's kind exhausting. of, and it's, it's sure. easy to be comfortable and kind of lean back and be like, yeah. well, maybe when they're a little older, maybe when things are a little different, we can have that conversation. But, you know, to recognize that the need today, right now, like after you listen to this, who do you need to call and go encourage or pray for, or just remind that God loves them. Like there's somebody that needs to know that in your family and your friends, uh, someone that you cross paths with in the workplace. And it, it's a scary thing to think about. Or to talk about because people are so sensitive um, about that stuff these days. But to recognize, like, if we're being faithful to the people that God is just kind of inspiring on our heart, it always works out. But when we try and force it or when we try and put ourselves in a position where we're like, look how great I am. Or judging other people, condemning other people, proselytizing. That's when we get in negative situations. That's like all of Facebook when it talks about religion or, you know, politics. It's like Mm -hmm. we're all coming at it from that perspective. I have the answers. I know the truth. Um, Listen to me. I know everything. I've never Mm -hmm. made a mistake. Or this politician's never made a mistake. Or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why. And people don't respond to that because it's not real. It's not authentic, you know. So recognizing that need to be um, um, authentically giving our time um, humbly and recognizing that needs to be our priority. Uh, one of my favorite prayers that I pray often, probably multiple times a day is Lord, I pray today that I would not be in a hurry because when you're in a hurry, you're miss so many of those opportunities to allow God to be the priority in how you spend your time and allow yourself to be sensitive to that. Um, Pope Francis talks a lot about uh, a ministry of presence. He uses the word accompaniment a lot. Um, and in his most recent encyclical, Christus Vivi, which we did an episode on, um, summarizing some of the key points, one of the things he says when he talks about teenagers is that we should treat the, the hearts of teenagers as if they are holy ground. And he uses the image of Moses taking off his sandals when he goes to the burning bush and recognizing that's a holy place. And I would extend that not just to teens, but to everyone. Everyone you meet, their heart, their life, their hopes, their desires, their personality is holy ground. And we are blessed to be able to set foot in it in the people that God has placed before us. And we need to take note of that and not think about it as a, I'm so great, let me give this to you. But rather, a, I'm here to discover and understand who you are and awaken a presence of God within that that you may not realize has been there all along. 
Um, that's really the way that we can be present to people, to, to ask questions, to understand them, to really give them our time. Um, I've shared this story before, I think, but I'll share it again because it's worth sharing. Um, when I was in college, I was in symphonic band and I played percussion and I was really terrible at it. Um, I got better, but the first day was awful. Like, you know, the, I had an instrument in my hands. I didn't know how to play it. <laughs> I was a guitar player. So they were like, you can do percussion. And uh, the conductor looks right at me and cues, and it was a solo on this percussion item that I had, and I had no idea what to do. It was mortifying. But a couple years into uh, doing that, we were all playing this piece, and this was a new conductor now that we had, a new band director. And we were playing really terribly, and you could tell people were tired, they were uncomfortable, they didn't want to be there. And so he kind of signaled for us to stop playing. And normally when he does that, he'll give notes. He'll be like, all right, on this measure, trumpets, do this, so-and-so do this, bring this out a little more, and we'll go back into it. But he didn't do that. He waved everybody off, and he looked around, and he kind of took a deep breath, and he said, wherever you are, be all there. And then he just let that sit, and then he, he sat up, cued everyone in, took a breath, and everyone came back in, and we played so different. Mm. Like, it was just, he kind of called us on the fact that, like, we weren't paying attention to what we were doing. And what we were supposed to be doing was creating beautiful music and listening to each other and playing with passion. And we were just playing notes, mm -hmm. you know, notes on a page. And so that's really kind of a good way to look at time. Is our schedule just notes on a page? Is it just things that we do? Or is it a sense of wherever we are, wherever God calls us, even if it's routine day in and day out, we're going to be all there passionately pursuing him in every conversation and every person and every relationship. We don't need to change where we are. We don't need to get on a plane and go to Africa. Mm -hmm. If you're called to do that, do that. But 99.9% .9 of us in this world are called to be missionaries in our own home, our own town, our own workplaces and schools. And that's about having that ministry of presence. Um, so time, um, using our time well. The second one is talent. Time, talent, and treasure are the three. So talent. Recognizing your talents are not yours. They don't belong to you. You did not develop them. You didn't get, you didn't get like, you know, find them out in the woods and like, I earned this myself. Yes, we work hard and we get disciplined and better at things, but we are naturally inclined to certain things over other people. Mm -hmm. um, we have certain personality characteristics that developed from the family we were raised in. And guess who put you in that family? The Lord. So he instilled in you these particular traits and gifts. And they are meant to be used not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify him. So how do we do that? How do we live a life on mission using our talents? Work on them. Use them. Don't let them go unused. Um, and I think there's an aspect of that that we get really... I mean, there's, there's two sides to it. We can either um, look at our talents that we have and, and be like, oh, I'm too shy, I'm too this, I, I don't want to put that out there, mm -hmm. um, which is a piece of pride. Like, we, you're practicing pride at that point, and you're letting Satan win when God has gifted you with these things. Or we're like, look how amazing my talent is, and mm -hmm. look, I'm the best at it, or you should look at me because I have this. Yeah, or I'm going to make a ton of money off this. Yeah, and rather than using it and um, recognizing that God has gifted you with it and recognizing that you need to be giving it back to him by using it. Mm -hmm. So it that's something that I know I have struggled with often is because I just, I feel like, one, I don't like people looking at me sometimes. <laughs> I just like, I don't want it. I don't No, No, mm -hmm. thanks. I'm good. Um, but it's, it's something that you have to work at, especially if you're not extremely extroverted and maybe your talent isn't something that is, um, necessarily at, like an extroverted talent, but yeah. it's something that we need to be looking at and looking at our lives and saying, okay, what have I been gifted with now? How can I use this in this time and in this moment in my now um, which can be really hard to do because yeah. we're busy and there's so many different things coming at us. And sometimes we overlook that thing and we think that it's insignificant and that it actually won't lead people closer to Christ. Yeah. It's, it's easy to identify extroverted talents and want them or be yes. envious of them. But you and I share a lot of these kind of extroverted talents because of the jobs we've had in ministry of mm -hmm. like teaching, speaking, we're both musicians. Mm -hmm. All of that involves like 
lights on you, people looking at you, you having to say something inspirational or life-changing like every two minutes, you know, Um, there's a lot of pressure there and it can very easily become self-focused, but it can also very easily make it seem like those are the only talents that we need in a church or a ministry setting. Right. And that's not true. Um, It's easy to identify those, but it's not um, easy to live them out authentically. The other um, kind of talents and charisms that are out there are hard to identify, um, but they're easier to live out because it's clear that they're not those ones that people are like searching after and like I really, but they're just as valuable. Right. Um, and so if we look at the ones that are like the common ones, the extroverted ones, let's look at one that's not like common in ministry, but let's say you're very inclined athletically. You know, you're very, very, maybe you're a professional soccer player or you want to be a professional soccer player. You know, that's a very visible talent that a lot of people would envy. Like, oh, I wish I was really good at that or I could play for the, uh, what's the name of the league for soccer? WSO? What? What's like NFL but for soccer? Is that something? No. (laughs) I mean, maybe. The NSA, the National Soccer Association that also spies on you. Um... (laughs) I don't know. What a so, good cover. I'm, I'm a man sports. So, um, <laughs> but like that's that's a hard thing to. How do I glorify God with this? And a lot of it is not going to be in how you play soccer, but it's going to be how you are as a soccer player. Like who you are in the midst of what you do well. How you interact with other players. Are you like body checking them and shoving them down and you know faking injuries, you know, and things like that? Or are you helping other players up? Are you encouraging them, congratulating them, being a good uh, sport, um, being a good um, team member for the rest of your team, uh, supporting them emotionally, um, you know, growing in team building together and not letting yourself just take all the limelight and be like, this team is all about me and what I'm doing. You know, if you, um, there's a great podcast um, called One Plus One, which is about famous duos. And the very first season is about Kobe and Shaq. And their feud was really, they wanted to be, each one of them wanted to be the one that carried the team. But Shaq was much more aware of the fact that it was a team. And Kobe was a very young hotshot, very talented, but it was very much about like, give me the ball and I'm going to carry this team to a championship. You know, at least that's how it was presented in the media and in this podcast and in a lot of the interviews they did. But that's an example of two different ways that you can look at it, you know. I'm a member of this team and God has given me certain talents to be present as a Christian in this place. And these people are souls that need to know him. Or this is all about me and look at my paycheck and, you know, um, I'm just going to keep trying to hustle and get more and more. And that's why all these athletes leverage their contracts against each other, trying to get, you know, the most um, high paid contract every year, you know, Um, it's it's ridiculous, you know. Um, You know, if I was like, if I... This is probably going to be very controversial of a statement because I'm not a very, like, sports-inclined person. But if I thought that I could make what, like, LeBron James makes as a a Monopoly player, like, and I was the best player at Monopoly in the world, people would still laugh. But that's what LeBron James is doing. He's very athletic, very disciplined probably, but he's playing a game. Yeah. For millions of dollars. (laughs) Like, and the (laughs) fact that it's like, it's, the millions I have is not enough. Because I'm, I'm putting this ball in that hole better every year. Like, that's, that's really, you know, like, come on. Are you changing the world that much? Like, lost, you know, like, no, you know, hopefully know, you're using, listeners. that's another thing. If you, if, but if you're a professional <laughs> athlete and you make all this money, maybe the way you glorify God is using a lot of that money to give back, to donate to charity, to have, you have a public platform as a celebrity, as mm-hmm. a professional athlete to bring light to issues of social justice, is, issues of human injustice, issues of faith and encouragement for other people. And there are celebrities that do that really well. And there are celebrities that hide um, and don't share that. Chris Pratt is one who shares that really well. He gave a speech um, at, um, he was the Lifetime Achievement Award winner, I think at the Teen Choice Awards like two years ago. And he gave this speech about like the top 10 things uh, or ways to go through life from Chris mm-hmm. Pratt or top eight or, and four or five of them were about God and about prayer, but he did them in a very comedic, very authentic way. And he mixed intermixed them with just very funny things that it was very palatable. And people, I didn't hear one, one blowback against it. And there may have been, but no one was really sharing it as like, I can't believe he did this. At least from what I saw, I'm sure there were people out there that did, 
but um, but he shared it authentically. And so, yeah, maybe he can't make you know um, faith-based documentaries and movie you know um, you know versions two, three, four, five, six of Passion of the Christ, and those are the only movies he's in, you know, <laughs> um, because he's just not getting those contracts. You know, he's in superhero movies now, but the way he is, the way he lives his life, what he does with that fame, that talent, can bring people to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So how are you using your talents? How are you using your time? And the last one is your treasure. This is something that people in our church today, especially people of younger demographics, aren't very good at. We don't tithe well, Mm -hmm. or we don't know that we're supposed to or how to. It's not on our priority list. One reason being that we have crippling student debt like nobody ever did before. Yeah, we don't I mean, have you money. and I don't, but like our generation does. <laughs> right. Um, and cost of living is so high. Um, you know, this whole battle with minimum wage showing that people aren't making enough at entry level jobs to sustain themselves, especially in, you know, um, high real estate areas or high cost areas like California, New York, different places like that. Um, However, are we giving something back to the Lord, you know, of our time, our talent, and or our treasure when we can? And if you can't give of your money, are you actively giving of your time and of your of your talent? Um, but, you know, that figure of 10%, you know, it seems impossible. I don't, I don't know if people actually give 10% of everything that they make. If they do, that's amazing. But you really can't afford to do that in today's world unless you make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I typically encourage people... Um, what is 10% of the money you have left after you pay the things you have to pay every month, your bills, you know, like your bills, your school expenses, like the money you have left that's flexible, that's for food or for fun or for gas or whatever. How can you make a little sacrifice to maybe not go to Starbucks for a month or not go to Starbucks that week or instead of, you know, one less night out? giving what you can of that chunk that's left, 10% of that, regularly to the church every month. And there are all these online systems that will take it out of your account um, regularly, and you can treat it like a bill, but recognize like that money is set aside for the Lord because of everything he's done for me. Um, our churches need that financial support because they do a lot of that missionary work too with that money. They serve the poor in their communities. Yeah. They serve um, all the programs and ministries at their parishes, all their community initiatives. Um, they pay the salaries of those people who try and do that for a living. Um, and so it's important for us to invest in the um, financial future of the church to be able to continue to answer this missionary call. My parents raised us um, every Sunday at Mass. They would give one of us the envelopes to put in the basket. And it was mm-hmm. always a fight for whoever um, who would be able to do it. And I just, that always set such a tone in my family that our money is not our own. It was gifted to us and that we need to be good stewards of it, um, and that we need to be giving back to our church and our, our communities. And, um, yeah, 10% is a lot. But if you're able to even just, like Matt said, not go to Starbucks, you know, for that mm-hmm. week, and that's your money that you give, or um, you literally have no money, then you have to do your time and your talent a little bit yeah. better, you know? Yeah. Um, and using your time and maybe giving back to the church and serving at the food bank or... Mm-hmm. Um, serving on a core team or whatever it may be, but our money is something that we uh, think is our own and it's mine and uh, it belongs to me because I worked Mm -hmm. extremely hard and I'm the only one that deserves it and I get to splurge on this, this, and this. But in reality, God placed you there in that job, in that place with that amount that you've been given and we need to be actively giving it back to our church and our parish and our community so that, like Matt said, we can be building those things up. Um, because if nobody's doing it, then yeah. they're going to crumble and we're not going to have the parish staff or um, the events maybe that will be bringing more people in that will have the opportunity to evangelize to. And so our, our money is an insignificant and small as, you know, maybe the $5 you think that you're putting in the basket mm-hmm. is. Um, it does go leaps and bounds in your trust that you're placing in the Lord and saying, okay, Lord, this is the amount that I've, you know, you've trusted to me. I'm going to give it back. Um, and I trust that I'm not going to need that $5. And if I do, or the $20 or whatever it may be, if I do need it, that you're going to provide for me. Yeah. Um, because that's really what it is, is if you're saying like, no, this is my money, then you're truly not trusting that God is going to provide for you in that week or that month that you could be tithing a certain amount. And so, um, oftentimes when you do give, 
a significant lump of money and you like trust that the Lord is going to provide for you, he returns it in like mm-hmm. crazy ways. And we've seen that in our own lives and people around us that um, when you're actively just trusting the Lord that way and you're giving, 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 he's just going to give it right back to you. Yeah. So. There was a, a woman at my old parish. She used to put her envelope in the basket every week and the counters would open it every week and there was 75 cents. Cause that's what she could give, mm. you know? Um, and odds are, if you have the capability of listening to a podcast, if you're hearing this, yeah. you have 75 cents, you know, you have a change jar, you have, you know, change in your couch cushions or that you find on the street, you know, it doesn't matter how little, but are you giving something of your treasure because God has given you all of it, mm-hmm. you know, you wouldn't have any of it without him. And so we need to be giving it back, um, because, expenses go up, church expenses go up. And if we want the church to continue to do the good that it does, we need to support that. And I know a lot of people struggle with this, especially when scandals and things happen in the church, like have been as of late and coming to light over the past year or two again, but to recognize like we're not putting money in the basket to affirm the bad. Um, we're putting money in the basket to encourage and fund the good, mm-hmm. uh, because the church does so much good that goes unspoken, unrecognized, unthanked, un you know, acknowledged by the media or even unaware by most parishioners that your church is probably doing out in the community. And that money spreads through dioceses, through mission funds, especially in those second collections. Um, and then there's all these other charities out there too that need our, our support. And so, um, you know, there is definitely something you could be giving. And maybe you do give and you're listening to this and you're like, all right, I got the treasure one. When was the last time you increased that gift? Have you had a, uh, a raise? Have you had any increase in your income? Because if a year has gone by, expenses go up for all these different things. And so how can you give a little more? You know, And just to constantly be thinking every time you get a bonus or extra money or something like that um, to recognize, oh, this is abundance. Like I need to make sure I'm tithing this. We as a church, sometimes we get financial gifts um, from you know people's wills, um, people uh, in the community, people who are wealthy, who want to give something back. And my pastor, the first thing he always does is he gives 10% of it to another church that's in need. Mm-hmm. So even though we are a church, he recognizes that we've been given this by God and we need to tithe as well to people who need it. Um, and so recognizing that this isn't just a, a call for rich people, um, but you probably are richer than you think you are. Um, 8% of the people in the world have a car and odds are you're probably listening to this in a car. Um, so that means you're richer than 92% of the world. And so our income in this top 10% is responsible and needs to fund a lot of that missionary activity to those other places in the world. And there's a lot of people in America who are, are in that rich middle ground because they see the super rich as that is glorified in celebrity and CEO culture. And they think that they're poor because, you know, they can't afford Starbucks every day or dinner out on um, dinner out every night, you know. So recognize a little bit of sacrifice and a little bit of help goes a long way. Um, And so don't be afraid in these ways, in your time, your talent, your treasure, your authentic witnessing of your faith uh, to stand up, you know, to ask questions, um, to um, not be afraid in your workplaces, to... um, to live your faith out authentically because most people who think that like everyone else in the room is going to disagree with them on an issue when it gets brought up, when they say something, almost always I hear people say, actually someone else in the room said, actually, yeah, I kind of agree with that, but I was afraid to say something, you know, they'll come up to them after. Uh, and so you probably have a lot of other people who would agree with a lot of what you're saying around you. Um, but a lot of times other people are too scared, um, to speak up. And so it's up to us to live out that missionary life in the way that we uh, live authentically, because more is caught than taught, um, in the way that we prioritize. um, And we do that through our time, our talent, and our treasure. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, Jenna, who is a saint that we can ask for the intercession of that did this well, that that will inspire us as we go forth these coming weeks? So um, I chose St. Elizabeth Ann Seton um, because... She lived a very, well, a very seemingly very normal life in the beginning of her life. Um, and then she recognized her call kind of towards the middle of her life and really, really took off with it um, for the short amount of time that she was actually Catholic because she lived from 1774 to 1821. And so she died when she was 46. So she lived a very short life. Um, but she was the first American to be canonized. 
um, in the 19, I think 1940s was when she yeah. was finally First native-born American to yes. be a saint, yeah. Um, and so she's the patron saint of Catholic schools, widows, seafarers, and a few other random things. Um, but she grew up in New York in the upper class, um, like an upper class family. And she was married at the age of 19 to William Seton. And she had five children with him. And they, um, she only got a, a very short amount of time with William. And during that time, she lived a very, very happy life. Um, and then everything kind of started to fall apart. His health started to fall apart. The company they had um, started to fall apart. And um, he ended up dying. I don't remember how long they were married, but he ended up dying. They took him to Italy. Her and her oldest daughter went to Italy with him to try and um, find kind of a place that was better for his health because he was struggling um, and suffering from tuberculosis, but they were only there for about a month and a half before he passed away. Um, now, Elizabeth grew up Episcopalian, and so she was very, very well-read. She read her entire Bible. She um, loved reading, but when she moved to Italy for that short amount of time, she encountered the Catholic Church for the first time and was very, very... Um, in love with the doctrine of the Eucharist. And so she spent about a year in Italy and came back and, I'm sorry, no, she didn't spend a year. She she spent a short amount of time there and then after returning home, a year later, was then brought into the Catholic Church. Um, and so when she was brought into the Catholic Church, everything kind of changed. She started doing different things and um, she first started a home for boys. Um, but people started looking at her and recognizing that she was Catholic and that was weird mm. and not okay. And so they started pulling the boys out of the school. And so she went through a lot of scrutiny and, um, kind of people pushing her away from the community that she once belonged in. And so, um, this group of priests actually, um, asked her to move her entire family to Maryland. And so she uprooted her entire family, moved to Maryland, um, and she, at Mar in Maryland, opened up a school for girls that later turned into a convent um, and later then turned into the Sisters of Charity of St. Joseph. And for um, Elizabeth, she became, um, and was given this the title of Mother and Superior. And so... They took vows of poverty, chastity, obedience, and service to the poor. Um, and then in her later years, she uh, began St. Joseph's Academy um, and grew the community there. And so she died in January 4th of 1821 at the early age of 46. Um, and I believe she also died of tuberculosis. But she was known for... Um, being extremely devoted, her compassion, and her desire to help others. And I just, I liked her story so because she recognized the community's need and where um, God had planted her and that he had planted her in a family, but then also to grow community and a family within that community. And so she had created the Sisters of Charity to go out and really, really, um, plant roots and then grow that community um, for the poor and the needy. And so I thought she was just very fitting for the mission of um, this episode because she saw the mission, she saw the need, and she grew from that and mm -hmm. listened to God's call rather than um, God calling her elsewhere. But this is really where we're focusing on, like, where is God calling you now in this moment in your community, in your home, and in your families, Was which is really hard to do. But yeah. she found the courage and the strength to do it in her own family um, and in her own community. And one of her quotes that I really liked was, The first end I propose in our daily work is to do the will of God. Secondly, to do it in the manner he wills it. And thirdly, to do it because it is his will. And so just recognizing that your daily work can is the work that God is calling you to um, and see, okay, how are you calling me to do this, Lord? Because we oftentimes have this very negative um, view that we look at our daily lives and think, oh, it could be so much better, but God is calling you to that, to that moment, to that job, to that work, but he's calling you to do it very specifically and to just be very open to that call. Yeah. I and mean, when we live our lives 
in between the to-do list and the bucket list. So it's either like negative, here's all the things I have to do, or like here's all the things I need to go escape to live life. Mm -hmm. But in reality, like every day is a bucket list and to-do list moment for someone or for something. And, and Jesus wants to be present to those, you know. And so that's why so much of our liturgical year is ordinary time. And so, um, you know, that regular to-do list routine type things, um, that's where God is really calling you to be on mission um, and to really share the beauty of your faith with other people and just how you live authentically um, with your joy and with, you know, just uh, an authentic desire to know Jesus and for other people to know him too. And so we ask for the intercession of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, as well as our patron saint, St. Charles Borromeo, to continue to uh, pray for us as we seek to answer this missionary call that is placed on all of us as we live out our faith and seek to inspire and encourage others to do the same in our daily life. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you for listening. Uh, please share this episode with someone that you think could benefit from it. Like and follow um, our posts and our account on Instagram uh, at Mana Food for Thought. And you can visit us uh, our website, manafoodforthought.com, where you can get links to every you know social media, way to listen, uh, all of our blogs, our old vlogs, everything that's on there, all of our backlog of uh, podcast episodes, all the way back to our very first. And so uh, please check that out and um, feel free to leave comments, reviews. Um, if you haven't rate and reviewed this podcast yet on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, wherever you listen to it, please do that because it helps other people find it. Um, and if you'd like to become a financial supporter of our podcast, we do have costs for like our domain name, our hosting for our website, all those different things, um, and our eventual merchandise that will come out as soon as we finally get settled on what we want and what we want it to look like. Um, but if you become a patron, you'll get um, merchandise for free, and also you'll be helping uh, support us uh, continuing this podcast into the future. Um, let us know if you have any suggestions for episodes and we'd love to hear them because we're always looking for something new to do. Um, yep. And until next time, we will be praying for you and we will see you in the Eucharist. Bye. Bye. Bye.